0: um, you can clap if you want to. (laughs) I know y'all like this. That was long. Yeah, we're going to get into a text. I think we're going to, are we going to Luke? Yeah. So we're going to start going through Luke. I think next week. Amen. Amen. Um, (laughs) but today we're going to end with judgment. That's, that's the last article, uh, the final day of judgment. And so I know your, your program says that we'll be in Revelations 20. But I'm sorry why for the last second I went with, uh, with Matthew 25. So if you can, please turn to Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 46. That should be on page 831 in those uh, blue Bibles that have been passed out. And if you need one, you can just raise your hand and um, an usher will bring one to you. Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. In this section of the book of Matthew, we are pretty much at the end of a very uh, long and intense teaching by Jesus on the end times. Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Olives, we see in Matthew chapter 24, and they ask him, What will be the sign of the end? What will be the, co- the coming of the age? And after describing very hard times called the tribulation and teaching them to be ready and to be faithful, in these verses, the Lord teaches judgment, what the final day of judgment will be like. And so I'm going to read and then pray. Verses 31 to 46, 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked, And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Lord God, please give ear to our prayer. Listen to our plea for grace. There will be a day of trouble that will come upon us, and so we call on you now to answer us. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord. There are no works like yours. Teach us your ways that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to yours so that we may fear your name, and so that we may glory in the judgment that is to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When I was a child, I used to um, act up or do something in school or or whatever. Um, I used to hate to ride home because my parents would tell me, you know, you're going to get a whooping when you get home. And so right when I got in that car, the first thing I used to try and do, was go straight to sleep. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to have some peace for this little 20-minute ride. (laughs) I'm going to act like when I wake up, it's not going to be there. Maybe they'll forget about it. But when I woke up, it was still there. The punishment still came. Acting like it wasn't going to come did nothing for me. And so I can imagine that's how a lot of people think about judgment. They, they, they don't want to look at it. They turn their backs to it. Or, or they're filibuster. They'll just keep asking question after, question after question after question after question and act like they just don't get it. And really, they're just not trying to face the reality of judgment. Day. Everybody knows in their deepest, deepest, deepest core that this life is not all there is. Everybody looks at death with a question, what's gonna happen after I die? And here we see, there will be judgment. God created the world with a purpose, with a direction the direction is going to him on Judgment Day. So, what I want us to do is look at Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46, and look at Judgment Day. And we'll see it in, in four stages. Or so We'll see the judge being seated, we'll see the court being arraigned. We'll see the trial being conducted, and we'll see the sentence being pronounced. The judge will be seated, there'll be an arraignment, there'll be a trial, and there'll be a sentence. I hope by looking at these verses, we will be awakened to that day that's to come. Number one, the seating of the judge. Verses 31. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. We see in this verse that the angels will come as escorts or ushers to the one who sits on the throne, and that one is the Son of Man. The Son of Man is used oftentimes in the Gospels, and they refer to Jesus. In Matthew 9, 6, when the Pharisees asked Jesus, did he have authority to forgive sins? Jesus said, that you may know the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And so he, healing the paralytic, showing that he was the Son of Man. When the scribe asked Jesus if he could follow him, Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Again, referring to himself as the Son of Man. And when he talks about his future death to the disciples, he says the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will be condemned to death. Without a doubt, Jesus is the Son of Man. And you see in his says he comes in his glory. Jesus was with all power and with all glory and with splendor, and he is the one who is seated on the throne. This position of being on the throne not only shows that Jesus has the authority to judge, but it also shows that Jesus is God. It shows his deity. Speaking to God in Genesis 18, 25, Abraham says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In Hebrews 10.30, it says the Lord will judge his people. And in James, speaking of God, it says there is only one judge and one lawgiver. The Son of Man is Jesus, and Jesus is the judge of all the earth. Yes, God the Father has given the Son the authority to judge, but he gives it to him not to make him the Son of Man or to make him Lord. He gives it to him because he is the Son of Man. And he is Lord. And the fact that the Son of Man is Jesus, that Jesus is the judge, is what makes his earthly ministry so marvelous. This one who is escorted by angels will allow himself to be escorted by dirty soldiers. The one who sits on a glorious throne to come places himself on an old rugged cross. And the one who is to judge allows himself to be judged, to be condemned to death by his Father. Look at the humility of Jesus, the love, the perfect submission to the Father, the compassion. This is the one who sits on the throne. This is the judge that we all want, or we all should want. We all should want this judge, but many don't. Matter of fact, look look over in verse uh, chapter twenty-four, verses twenty-nine to thirty-one. It says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man and then tribes and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. When Jesus comes, some people will mourn. Why? Because they don't want him as king. Why? Because now he is coming to judge. My plea is that you take the Lord Jesus as your Lord now before he comes then. Submit to his loving rulership, kingship, authority now before he comes then. Because there's only one throne and there's only one judge and it's Jesus. And let's look at the arraignment. Verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. We see here that all the nations will be gathered and judged. No matter what country, no matter what nationality, all will have to stand before his throne. And there is no way around it, not even death. Listen to John chapter 5, verse 25. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For just as the Father has life in himself, even so he gave to the Son also life in himself. And he gave him authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. And then in verse 28, it says, do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Listen, whether a person is alive when Jesus comes or is dead when he comes, everybody will have to stand before the throne and they will be judged by him. Notice, this isn't a group judgment. The text says that he, he separates people one from another. And he does it as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats Jesus is using a familiar metaphor of Palestine. They knew what it was for for goats and sheep to be separated. And so he's using this to show the truth that people will be divided individually. He will look into nations and then go a little further into cities and then go into homes and then go to into families and then he will go right into the heart of every single person. And he will call them to account. There was a time when you used to, used to go out and, say, so you forget your ID. And, and so you used to, um, you, you, you go in a pack, and you're like, man, I forgot my ID. And so you try and slide in with the rest of them or, or, or try and have somebody vouch for you, right? Won't happen up there. No, he's, he's, he's faithful to his position as judge. He's faithful. He's going to fulfill his duties. He's going to check every single ID because he knows every single hair on our heads. He knows every single thought. He knows exactly who we are and where we are, how we got here and where we're going. And he's going to divide us out one by one. And look, notice, there's no half-breeds here. There's no she-goats. Either a sheep or a goat. Snow in between, kind of trying to graze around in the middle. No, 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 no. You're either or you either on the right or you on the left. And notice again, the sheep can't say, no, I'd rather go to the left. And the goats can't say, no, I'd rather go to the right. No, you can't make any decisions at that time either. He makes a decision. He says, you go to the right, sheep, and you go to the left. Look, look at this division. Some people who have been married, For decades, some will go in together as sheep. Some will go in together as goats. And some will be divided. Parents and children. Some will be divided and some will go together. Neighborhoods. Work office, friends. A division will come. That's why it's useless to place place any loyalty into anything else except for Jesus Christ. You put Christ over everything because Christ is the one who will divide your hood, your job, your spouse. They're not your judge, Jesus is. He will divide, and then there will be a trial. Let's look at the trial, verses 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Here we see two things. One, a person will be judged by their works. The king, who had been watching and writing down everything that each person has done in life, now calls them to account. And when we turn to... In Revelations 20, it says that they all will come before the throne and they will have the books and the books will be open containing everything that they have done and they will be judged by what they have done. Now, in this case, Jesus is pointing out how they served him. And rightly, they were kind of confused and asked, when did they serve him? And some people actually did serve him when on the, in his earthly ministry, but most people, like us, didn't. So the question is, when did they serve Jesus? When did we serve Jesus? And the answer is, look at verse 40. It says, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. The least of these my brothers. And in Matthew 12, 50 Jesus says that those who whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother so his the least of these are, are not the low caste of society or the oppressed or the abandoned right the least of these are his brothers and his brothers are his disciples his followers This is a familiar. He says this also in John 13, 35, right? He says, by this, all people will know you are my disciples if you love one another. One of the true tests of genuine faith is love for other Christians. It's not the only test. Because we do know in other passages that God will call to account even every word we say, even Words that we say to non-Christians, and He will call into account our thoughts and our actions to everybody. But right here, He's He's focused. He's honing in on something. He's honing in on their love for the brothers, and He's probably doing this because in Matthew 23, just before, right, He just pronounced a bunch of woes on the Pharisees, and one of the woes on the Pharisees was that they had no mercy. They were without justice. They had no love for people, no love for his people. And so Jesus is showing this contrast here of what a a true Christian is. A true follower of him does the works of loving his people. But we also see in this passage, And though we are judged by our works, it is not by our works that anybody enters into heaven. It is not by our works that anyone enters into heaven. A person is saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. A person is saved by grace alone through faith alone, not by works. And we see that in this passage. Look okay, again at verse 34. It says, It says to um, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. The kingdom is not earned, it's not worked for, it's inherited. A person doesn't work for an inheritance, they receive it, it's handed down to them. And in this case, the scripture says the inheritance is prepared for them be at the foundation of the world. People are not getting into heaven because of works. They are getting in by grace. Just like sheep can't purposely and definitely find green pastures, a person cannot find their way to the kingdom of God. In fact, a per- unless a person is born again, they can't even see the kingdom of God. So in God's grace, he overcomes the sin, the indwelling corruption that's within people. In God's grace, he he overcomes every single addiction and and family situation and horrible system that distorts our view of the glory of God. In God's grace, he gives us eyes to see Jesus. He gives us eyes to see him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Again, it is all by grace. But it's by grace through genuine faith. Genuine faith. How do we see faith? Look at verse 37. It says, he says, then the righteous will answer him. The righteous. What right do they have to be called righteous? There is no one righteous, no not one. They weren't perfect. The only way someone can have this righteousness that get past the judgment seat of Christ is if they have this righteousness imputed to them, given to them, handed to them. As a gift. And the way a person gets this righteousness is through faith. Little illustration I use with kids at daybreak. Little teacher, not little teacher, a teacher passes out a test. And he says, You have to get hundred percent on the test in order to pass the class. Hundred percent. You don't get hundred, it's fail. And so she passes out the test. Everybody takes the test. Only one person passes it. Everybody else fails. Only one person gets 100%. 99 didn't do. 99.9 didn't do. 100% passed, rest, failed. And so they deserve to fail. But what the teacher does, right, in his love, he says, look, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to let you take the test again because you're probably going to fail again. But, (laughs) but I'm going to let you write your name on his test. And that 100% score, though you didn't know the right answers and get all the right answers, that 100% score can be applied to you. Just write your name on his test. That's what imputed righteousness is. Christ was perfect in all he did. We are not. And so, in order to have a perfect score with God, we have to apply our names to him. We have to place our faith in him and unite ourselves to him. And that is done by faith. How do we get the righteousness we need? How did they get the righteousness they needed? By faith. And that faith came, comes through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. 1 Peter 3.18 says that Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, for, the, for our sake, he who had no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We get this righteousness by faith in Jesus. Second reason I know it's genuine faith is because of their works. James 2 says, faith without works is dead. Jesus said, a tree, you know a tree by its fruit. And when Paul was giving thanks to God for the Thessalonians, He says he praised God for their work of faith, their labor of love, their steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus. Their works, their labor, their steadfastness was a result of their faith, was a result of their hope, was a result of their love in Jesus. It flowed out of, their works flowed out of their rooted faith in Christ. And so, again, it is by grace, through faith, that these people were counted righteous. And it's by grace, through faith, that they produce the works that God judges. It's by grace, through faith, that anyone enters into heaven. But let's continue to look at the trial and see how people enter to hell. Verses 41 to 46, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in a prison and did not minister to you? Then he will say to them, saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment. I mean, I'm mean, i going to stop right there. So the goats, the people on his left, are the exact opposite. Instead of the Son of Man tells them to come. He tells them to depart. Instead of calling them blessed, he says they're cursed. And they're cursed, and they go into the eternal fire with the devil and his angels. And they don't inherit eternal fire. They worked for it. They worked for it. Their works were like filthy rags, and they got exactly... What they deserved. Look, a person, and this is reflected, the fact that they got what they deserved and their works were filthy rags, was because we know this because they had no faith. They had no faith in Jesus. And we know this, what? By what? We know this by their works. They had no love for Jesus. They had no love for His disciples. They had no love for his followers. And therefore, they had no love for Jesus in their hearts. Now look, a person does not have to kill someone or have sex outside of marriage or do drugs in order to go to hell. All they have to do is mow his and alone and overlook Jesus. The devil... And Hitler's are not the only ones there. (laughs) Philanthropists, Good Samaritans, teacher of the years are all there because they did not have the righteousness of Christ. The devil has been trying to murder Jesus from the beginning, trying to make him, trying to take him out Trying to overthrow his rule, trying to get people to snub their nose at him, and he really, really wants people to hate Jesus because he knows that his time is short, and so he wants—talk about a hater—he wants all of—he uh, wants the whole world to be come down to hell with him. He does, and he's quite fine for a person to admire Jesus, but not listen to him. And he's even quite fine with the person listening to Jesus and not following him. You can appreciate Jesus. You can like his church. So you can like listening to sermons. You can like Bible studies. You can think of him as a revolutionary and and say, I want to model his actions. But if you don't follow him, if you don't unite yourself to him by faith, if you don't love him with all of your heart, soul, and strength, then nothing awaits you but hell. Whoever rejects the son will not see life. That's the trial, and now let's look at the sentence, the the sentencing in verse 46. And these, again, speaking of the goats, the ones who are on his left, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Again, the devil is a very powerful being who at one point was a chief angel and, and within God's control, he had the power to do miraculous wonders and to cause calamities on the earth. Very strong. And yet Revelation says that the devil will be in torment forever in a lake of fire and sulfur. Hell is not the devil's playground. Hell is the devil's torture chamber. And that fire or whatever that causes that pain is made especially for him and for his angels. And it is for eternity. And it will bring about the most excruciating pain that he could ever imagine. Now, if that, the devil who's way more powerful than any person here, will experience pain, torment forever. What do you think will happen to you? How do you think you will feel in hell? Notice it says that it is eternal punishment. Just like heaven is eternal life for those who believe, hell is eternal punishment. You cannot die in hell. There is no end to it. I don't know if it's real fire, but I know it's real painful. And I know that it's complete separation from everything that is good. There is no encouragement, no jokes, nothing to divert the pain, no pain medication, nothing. Just eternal torment day and night. And it's eternal. Hell is so bad that Jesus said it's better to go into heaven with a missing eye than to go into hell. It's better to go into heaven lame with with, with a body part missing than to go into hell. It's no joke. But the righteous, come on, I'm coming. The good news is coming. But the righteous will go into eternal life. where nothing rusts, where thieves can't steal, where there's no tears and where there'll be no pain. Heaven is a place of everlasting rest and joy. That is the reward for the saints, for those who have endured to the end. We will see the face of our King forever. This is so good. I want want us to do a little bit of Bible study right now. I just want us to go to Revelation because I want you all to see everything I'm about to say. So you can go back and just marvel at it. But I want you to see it now. Turn to Revelation, chapter 2 verse 7. And we're going to think about, if you're a believer, we're going to think about our rewards in heaven. Look at Revelation 2 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, here we go, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This promise takes us all the way back to the beginning of time when everything was good, when the world was a big paradise and there was no murder and no calamities and no death. And if you remember, right, before God kicked Adam and Eve out, out of the garden, he said, um, they have become like us, knowing good and evil, unless they reach their hand and take also from the tree of life and live forever, right? And then he banishes them from the garden. But here we see that now we can take from the tree of life. We can eat from it. And be satisfied with it forever. In paradise. Look at Revelations 2.10. Talk, again, talking to the churches. He says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. But be faithful unto death. Why? Another reward, because I will give you the crown of life. The race to heaven will be hard. It will be strenuous. Some people will have to endure death of a loved one and say, Lord, I still trust you. Some will have to endure persecution. Some may have to fight depression. Some may have to, say, uh, move themselves from a homosexual relationship and say, you know what, even if I have to remain single, right, I'm going to fight this fight until I get to heaven. Because we know that we get the crown of life. Far better than any championship ring that the Cleveland Cavs will win this year. (laughs) Far better than any gold medal. (laughs) Far better than any magnum cum laude reward. The reward will be the crown of life. It will be a crown that will never perish. Look at Revelations 2.17. Again, talking to the conquerors, the ones who endure. Say, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give him some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Hidden manna? Look, the believer' hidden manner is that we will be satisfied in him. Sometimes I look at my baby girl and say, how can you eat that same milk every day? Isn't that boring? And she just looks at me sucking like, no, I'm satisfied. Just satisfied. Just satisfied. Full. We'll be full on the richness of Jesus Christ and his glory. And it says, "I will give him a white stone. That white stone is something like a ticket—a ticket that, you, specifically, with your name on it, you will have your entrance into that feast. We'll be satisfied with." Look at Revelation two twenty-six. Again, the one who conquers, and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give you authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. We see two things. One, we see that the believers, they will rule. Just like in the garden, when we were given the task to subdue the world and rule, we'll be ruling. And we'll be ruling the nations. This may be that when, after we are judged, then we then get on the throne and then we judge the nations. Or it could be that we all maintain our, our, our differences in heaven and, and still rule in, in different cities. I don't know what that is, but listen, we'll be working and we'll be ruling, and it'll be a good rule. And you know what else? It says that we will have the morning star. Who's the morning star? There we go. Jesus is the bright and morning star. Again, we will have him. We will have him. Look at Revelations 3, 5. The one who conquers, again, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments and will never, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Listen, believers will be given new clothes. Our bodies that once was clothed in sin will now be clothed in purity. Our body that was clothed in dishonor will be clothed with honor and glory. And we will finally be holy as he is holy. And because of these new garments, we won't have to fight sin. And therefore, our names will never be blotted out of the book of life. Never. This struggle of indwelling sin will be done with. Done with. Glorious bodies, glorious clothes. Look at verse, Revelation 3, 12. The one who conquers... Revelations 3.12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Look, I don't, I don't know how the different rewards in heaven works itself out. But right here I see that nobody will be closer to God than anyone else. They all will be pillars in the temple of God. They all will be next to his radiating glory. And we will never be from his presence. Never be from his presence. The name is written on you. Everywhere you go, it's on you. You, can't, you won't be able to escape him, and you won't want to escape him because he's that good. And he will be good to us over and over and over and over, infinity times over again. What a reward we have. Last one, 321. Then the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Chapter 3, verse 21, sorry. Then the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. We will be seated with Christ. We will share with the glory of the king. We will eat at the table of the king. We will dwell in the king's house. We will rule with the king's scepter. We will share in his glory. Friends, this is the eternal life that is granted to the righteous. Friends, that's the trial. That's the arraignment. That's the sentence. I just got one encouragement. If you're a non-believer, choose life. Look at everything that's offered to you. All of these heavenly rewards. All of the goodness, all of the love, all of the crowns. Look at this offered to you. Don't wallow in the muck of sin. Separate from sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worth it. If you're a believer, if you've trusted in Christ, you've placed your faith in Him, my encouragement to you is to endure. 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 Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We thank you for the blessings and the riches that comes with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that you will come to judge, and you will make. All things right, and you will judge with equity and with righteousness. Lord God, we, we do not want anyone to perish. Lord God, you do not want anyone to perish. And so we ask, Lord God, that you would, in your grace, call people to yourself today. Give them eyes to see the beauty of heaven and the beauty of your glory. Give them eyes to see the wickedness of sin in the end, in the end of a sinful life apart from you. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear, give us hearts that will know you and will trust in you. Oh God, our, our my prayer is that everyone in here everyone in this room would be would be sheep and we will go in together. We will go into heaven together. Oh God, would you be gracious to us today and let it be so. You can do it. You haven't put a limitation on this room. You haven't you can save Every single heart right now, please be merciful, be gracious, and do it so that we all can enjoy the fullness of life with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. For his glory we pray. Amen.